Blog Talk Radio. To the Frontier Beyond Fear live broadcast and podcast. Today is Saturday, July 23rd, 2022. And if you experienced a brief delay, because I noticed kind of a, a delay I didn't have control over, hopefully you had the patience to continue to listen. So um, welcome to you, to all of you here live today. And to those of you listening in the future on a few different syndicates, which I greatly appreciate, and I do appreciate those of you listening who are worldwide, because I know we do have listeners in multiple parts of the world. Today, I am going to talk about a topic that once again came to me this morning and a little bit yesterday as well because I've been personally reflecting on this. Abundance. What does it truly mean? There are many, many misconceptions about abundance. And those misconceptions can do some very deep wounding of ourselves internally, depending on how we internalize them, and also of one another, depending on how we project these things. And as is always the case, or typically the case, I will be reading some passages of writing in this program that I surfaced very spontaneously by opening to a book. Some I'll explain with each one where there was a little intention, but in each case I was guided to the passage or excerpt that I'm going to read. That will come a bit later. First, I want to talk a little bit about my own personal experience that led me to reflect on this topic today. Many of us have lived lives where we have experienced, if we're fortunate, there's the first interesting thing here, a variety of circumstances. The reason why it is fortunate to experience a variety of circumstances is a part of understanding what abundance is and what it has to do with gratitude. In my own life, I tended to gloss over. I mean, I never was in some stellar, way high up circumstance, but certainly 
I have been in a variety of circumstances. And the most interesting thing is when I was in a circumstance where, um, you know, the more pedestrian view of abundance might have been in play, I was not as happy. And I didn't even really notice it so much. And I didn't have as much gratitude. And I certainly wasn't as spiritual. There were many things that I was lacking even as I was growing. And when I look back on that time, I was not truly living what I would consider an abundant life. I was not feeling true abundance, which goes far deeper than being able to just get out, you know, just purchase a new car or whatever with, um, without hesitation. That is not abundance. People can live in that space. I'm not saying that you can't be in that space and experience abundance. But if you are not aligned spiritually with that space, and if you do not have a deeper relationship with gratitude and a deeper way of truly living your life aligned with purpose, you are not in the most abundant place that you can be. And it is, of course, a progression. It is really infinite abundance. I had something happen in the last week. I I really like, those of you who have been listening to this program recently may recall several months ago, almost a year ago, I moved to a different area. And I have been very fortunate in my life to live near beautiful places. And I was walking, and I confirmed it. Basically what happened in the last um, last week is even faster or sooner than I thought, I confirmed that, yes, I will be staying in this space. And so that always gives you kind of a, a, a you can breathe, you know you're more settled for the moment, and you just know where you're going to be, and it's a beautiful place that I live in, but it's also very simple. In fact, it's one of the simpler places I've lived in my life, which is very interesting, and yet it's one of the best. I don't know if I can quite compare and say, oh yeah, it is the best, because there have been some pretty nice places too. Um, I loved a garden I had some years ago. There are many things, but notice how I value beauty. Beauty is a part of abundance. And I was walking home from my morning walk, and I was thinking, looking around, thinking what a simple place this is, and yet how rich it is. Oh, yeah, there are mansions around. There are. And I'm not saying that someone in a mansion isn't having an abundant life. But far too often, they're not even home. Maybe they're off somewhere enjoying a truly abundant life somewhere else. 
But it's only a truly abundant life if aligned with purpose. That is a progression as well. I am gradually focusing in. This is a part of my purpose right here. This is a gift from my heart, this program. It is a gift from my heart to the future as much as it is to the present, and in many cases even more so. I've done a lot of writing in my life, not all of which is available now, and I don't know where it's going to be in the future. And there may be people listening far in the future who appreciate the things that I'm sharing here live in this time, this time in which I am. Authenticity is a process. All of it is a process, and we need to honor our processes. Last time I did a program on letting go, which was about honoring our process of letting go. And the funny thing about that program is last week I wasn't totally sure if I'd be letting go where I am right now or not. And it all came clear in the past week and very fast. Right before the program, after identifying some passages that I'll be reading, I was watching an episode of NOVA, our local PBS, or not local, but local to this country, because I know that there are people listening in other countries. It is a science program in the United States that is on our public broadcasting platform. And it was focused on the James Webb Telescope. In fact, using that term focus is very relevant here because it had a lot to do with how they were focusing the telescope, and it was really looking back on how they were building it. And they had completed this program clearly very fast, right after the first um, more impressive images came back, which I think I talked about briefly a couple weeks ago on July 12th. I couldn't help watching this program where they're talking about the risk that people are taking to work on this venture, how many years it took, how much of their their passion, their purpose, their lives, the scientists invested into it. And then there were a lot of people working on it who were quite due to the program. And maybe, you know, they had come on board relatively recently but there were those who had invested a lot of time into this and yes of course we see already these remarkable views from this telescope and the show really showed all the uncertainty all the ways it could have failed completely single point failures that existed that would have just scuttled the effort and how Over the years, it was plagued by all kinds of little problems. At one point, nuts and bolts like falling on the floor, and people are saying, what in the heck is going on with this? How many of us have lives where someone looking in from outside might say the same thing, you know, where your nuts and bolts are falling on the floor, or it seems that way, because you're trying to put it together? Sure. We go through lessons. Of course we do. It seems like a few of us right now are 
doing a lot of reflecting on our lives. I think it's because of the state of the world. And you, my friends, may be in some portion of the world where that is even more present, where you feel very imminent danger. And that's not to say that we can't all feel that right now to some degree. Although I always feel that there is hope and that it's helpful to continue to focus on what our purpose is within the midst of uncertainty. I grew up during a time when I would write poems when I was a teen, young teen, on nuclear war because we were conscious of that. And I've actually bemoaned how in this time we don't have enough information. We had more information back then as to what it would be like. I mean, it wasn't great. We had some more accurate ideas than they did like in the 50s and they said to hide under a desk. And it seems like we're almost to the point of that again where people don't realize just how serious that would be. And we were well trained in that in the 80s and the 70s when I grew up. But this isn't about that fear or that possibility or that jeopardy that the entire world is in right now. I've spoken so many times, you know, we've developed these toys and not the maturity to go along with it. And the funny thing is, when I look at these images coming back from the telescope and they're focusing the mirrors, and it's not that I don't admire what they managed to accomplish. And certainly what's coming back is meaningful to me on levels that may not be meaningful to them if they are not spiritual. Nowhere in this scientific program was anything really philosophical mentioned. We're afraid of that now. We don't talk about that. That's your private life. And yet it really needs to be something that we are centered upon. That's where the maturity comes from. That's where it comes from, not just from science. Yes, there was awe. Yes, there was, um, you know, there was some feeling of that, but not a feeling of the mystical. There's a banner up outside. They showed it on the show, the building where they do all this, where they're controlling this telescope, has something, um, I can't even remember the whole thing, but it has a reference. It might say viewing the hidden universe, or maybe it just says the hidden universe is what got me, or looking into the hidden universe, something like that. And I noticed it when I'd already been reflecting on how the hidden universe, the hidden multiverse, is both within and beyond us. That's where abundance is. I will be reading a passage where you can discover this, in fact, multiple passages, in multiple ways in nature. Abundance, my friends, is an experience. We sometimes withdraw from it. We get scared. We get nervous. We're taking a risk. In fact, they talked about that so much in this program, how the risk they were taking, it was worth it. It was worth it. And I kept thinking about this spiritually and, oh, bemoaning that we couldn't 
as humanity be focusing as much on exploring what is possible spiritually as we are in a materialistic way. Because the two can be integrated together. And there are things that we can learn and understand that are from our experience, that are from observation, that are about science, which is about exploring truth. And that as much as we're focusing these mirrors, we're missing the point. We're not looking in the right places. We're looking in one right place, but we're not looking in the most important place. And because we have not been looking in the most important place, we are in jeopardy as a species. It is not materialism that will help us here. We are going to need spiritual maturity. And I cannot say it more strongly because materialism on its own is based on a false premise and that paradigm will someday, hopefully, consciously, just like any other scientific paradigm, fade away. And we will know that there is more. But I will say it's awe-inspiring to see the imagery. They were talking in one point about basically what they were looking at was comparable to a speck of sand, and yet here are all these galaxies packed in there. And they did talk about Wow, one person, how infinite it must be. Oh, yes, how infinite. And just imagine that there's a multiverse as well. How is it we can't be openly contemplating the philosophy and our own experiences and making conscious observations of so much more related to spirituality? And yet we race and race and race down the materialistic only road. And it's similar to how we race after money. Money alone is empty. You don't need much money. You really don't. To be in a space of joy and peace, even when there is risk, like they're facing, there's always risk. There is not a person on this planet. I mean, I just talked about nuclear, where we just went through, you know, this pandemic, and there are just so many things going on that can put you at risk right now. Risk is a part of life. We don't come here to just sit around and not experience risk. Fear can be associated with risk. And this program, of course, is about managing fear, and that can be an imperfect process. In fact, of course it's imperfect. We are human beings. We wouldn't bother coming here as ourselves if we weren't going to experience what is really a perfect kind of imperfection. I will be reading some passages. I'm hoping to get a couple into the, the live show this time, though it goes by quickly, and I always debate whether to make the live show go longer. But I make the live show as long as a typical broadcast might be so that you know I'm not 
trying to fill airtime. Since I'm just speaking from my heart on my own, that's why part of this show is live, and sometimes it can go on for another 30 minutes. We'll see how long it goes on today. As I often do, I turn in a book, and I need to get some more books to do this in, and that's fine. But there's plenty to see here. And I may even add a couple things in later. We'll see. But one of the first things I turn to today, um, and we are revisiting some things, and maybe this book is wanting to open to those things that we're revisiting, and that's okay because then we're doing a deeper study, just as we're doing a deeper study of what abundance is. Here I turned right to the page. This is Ralph Waldo Emerson in his essay, Nature. Ralph Waldo Emerson lived from 1803 to 1882, and he is a transcendentalist. He is an idealist. And what I turned to immediately and looked right at were these quotes in his essay, The Golden Key Which Opens the Palace of Eternity, and How Perfect is that and that was even before I was really watching this special about observing what we can in the hidden universe because that could be considered a key that's allowing us to see but it's only a very small part of that key we need more to it you can't just work with it in a vacuum to truly grow in the ways that we need to as humanity so I turned to pass turned to the page before and I saw where it is I need to begin reading this passage. This once again, Ralph Waldo Emerson's Nature. And this is in the section of the essay under section 7, Spirit, a little ways in. This is a fairly long essay. Not too long, but it's much longer than we could ever read, of course, on the program. I'm going to go back a sentence from where, because I'm seeing something else here, even that I didn't see before. I'm just going to start right here. Let it stand, then, in the present state of our knowledge, merely as a useful introductory hypothesis serving to apprise us of the eternal distinction between the soul and the world. But when following the invisible steps of thought, we come to inquire... Let me remind you, I turn to this quite randomly, even if the book is kind of wanting to open there, but to this passage. Whence is matter and where to? Many truths arise to us out of the recesses of consciousness. We learn that the highest Got to get this book a little bit easier to read here. The text is pretty small in this book. We learn that the highest is present to the soul of man. That the dread universal essence, essence which is not wisdom or love or beauty or power, but all in one and each entirely, is that for which all things exist and that by which they are, that Spirit creates, 
that behind nature, throughout nature, spirit is present, one and not compound. It does not act upon us from without, that is, in space and time, but spiritually or through ourselves. Let's stop for a moment. The thing about the the telescope is we're looking back in time because of how light travels to us across space and across time. And do you see how synchronistic this passage is? Therefore, that spirit, that is, the supreme being, capital S, capital B, does not build up nature around us, but puts it forth through us as the life of the tree puts forth new branches and leaves through the pores of the old, as a plant upon the earth, so a man rests upon the bosom of God. He is nourished by unfailing fountains and draws at his need inexhaustible power. Who can set bounds to the possibilities of man? Once inhale the upper air, being admitted to behold the absolute natures of justice and truth, and we learn that man has access to the entire mind of the Creator, capital C, is himself the Creator in the finite. This view, which admonishes me, where the sources of wisdom and power lie, points to virtue as to, quote, the golden key which opes the palace of eternity. There's a reference here I want to look at. I know we're getting close to the end of the live show. Okay, that, by the way, is a reference to John Milton Comus. So that's important. And it did appear to be a quote. And I may not have, I think I might have said opens when I first read it. It's opes. It's a word, same meaning. The golden key which opes the palace of eternity carries upon its face the highest certificate of truth because it animates me to create my own world through the purification of my soul. Okay. That's all I'm going to read there. And yeah, I turn there. Live show, I know we're about to end. Let me take a quick look at where we're at. Got a couple minutes, so I'm going to take a quick minute to reflect upon how that passage is calling us beyond matter, beyond the material, to something higher. And abundance is totally related to this. But this isn't quite what we sometimes hear, like um, something vacuous, you know, oh, I want that yacht or something, and just for some vacuous purpose. That's not what this is about. And by the way, those things won't make you happy. They really won't not in their own. You have to work with your own soul, with your own life. You need to bring that depth into your life. And once you do that, 
you can find joy, more joy than someone who has 10 yachts and private planes. In fact, they're probably much more miserable. Live show, I know that you're leaving me soon, live audience. I'm going to stop for a moment. Thank you, Blog Talk Radio, for featuring this program live on the homepage today again. It's also featured in the spirituality category while live. Those of you who are listening, if you want to learn more about this program, go to FrontierBeyondFear.com. I'm a little behind in updating that site, but you can always click on any of the archive links and find all the recent shows. So thank you for being here. I'm going to continue. For those of you who've been listening all along in the podcast in the future, and I have no idea where you are across space and time listening to this broadcast, I don't know what the future holds. I have to tell you, I believe that several of us, I'm going to stop for a minute and talk a little bit about accomplishment. I am so pleased with this life that I'm living now in terms of things that I never knew I'd be exploring. I'm exploring. In fact, this life goes far beyond any academic idea or goal, professional or academic, I might have had. Because the purpose of it, because studying what is so very important and experiencing something, that is the key. And we know it. Those of us, many of us scientists, who have experienced and observed what truly is possible, including the very improbable statistical likelihood that that passage would be relevant at all to this program today. But going far beyond that, we are explorers. You out there, you are an explorer. Do not discount that. Do not let anyone diminish you. Honor your journey. Honor your path. You are way showers. You are pioneers. You are like the first astronauts off the planet. What we're doing is at the leading edge of science, the very leading edge, far beyond the more mundane, material-focused things. And where you can find that peace and that joy is right in front of you and so simple to behold. Yes, you can look at these incredible pictures now, these photographs coming back of what we can observe of just a tiny speck of the universe and just be astounded at how vast just one universe is. And there really is evidence coming forward of a multiverse. We can't even begin to comprehend it. In fact, 
I'm going to turn. This did not appear in quite this order. This is quite an obscure poem, the next one. But I turned right to, I believe in this case, yes, directly to this page. And so I'm going to honor that. And this one's going to require you to go a little bit deeper to see the connection, but I will help you. This is in a different book where often I can't read poetry from because too many are too recent and I cannot read anything that could potentially um, you know, not be readable on the air due to copyright. I only read very old poetry. And yes, I will over time, and I may even in this show live look for um, you know, a variety of sources. But I also listen to the voices that come, and I think that's okay. Because in other programs, you know, we do look for, you know, there are multicultural voices, and I do honor those of you in other parts of the world. So I turned right to this. This is by John Keats. He lived 1795 to 1821. Let me look at something here in this book, make sure I'm telling you this properly. Yes, 1795 to 1821. And the poem is, On First Looking into Chapman's Homer, written in 1816. Much have I traveled in the realms of gold, Stop for a minute. Remember, I turned to this page, and it's already talking about gold, and we're talking about abundance. Let's start again. Much have I traveled in the realms of gold, and many goodly states and kingdoms seen. Round many western islands have I been, which bards in fealty to Apollo hold. Oft of one wide expanse had I been told that deep-browed Homer ruled as his domain. Yet did I never breathe its pure serene till I heard Chapman speak out loud and bold. Then felt I like some watcher of the skies, when a new planet swims into his ken, or like stout Cortez, when with eagle's eyes he stared at the Pacific, and all his men looked at each other with a wild surmise, silent upon a peak in Darien. Okay, we're not going to go too deep with this because this one has a lot of references that I know can be challenging and we don't need to go too deep. But isn't it fascinating also? Synchronistically, what are the statistical chances that I also open to a poem that talks about looking at a planet, a watcher of the skies? I tell you, this experience is real and can be demonstrated. We just don't look. We don't choose to look. Also, what I took from this is the awe-inspiring nature of beholding 
whatever nature is revealing to you. And how much more important that is than everything else. You don't need what you've been told that you need. What we really need is very simple. Some are saying, or choose to suppress, that spirituality is unimportant, false, not worthy of even being mentioned on, of course, this broadcast I just watched on science. How tragic. Meanwhile, those of you Join with me in celebrating your explorations. You are brave, brave explorers. My friends, honor your life. Honor your path. They can't see the key. They can't see it. And it is the most important discovery of all. It's what gives us the maturity to mature. <laughs> as ironic as that sounds. And without that, I mean, these are like children just playing in a preschool, batting around, you know, wildly playing with toys. I mean, maybe they'll see something interesting. In fact, it's very useful. They're working hard. But without the spiritual element, it's like money without purpose, the material without purpose. That's the center. The hidden universe is right here. You don't need, although it's useful right now, I'm not saying that we're not gaining some things from this technological age, although... When all is said and done, if we were comparing ourselves to other species on other planets, I would tend to believe there is a tale of woe to be told. Unless at the very last minute, which one could hope would happen here, spirituality gains hold and saves the place. Because without it, Almost inevitably, most technological societies will go to destruction, sadly. But because we know, those of you out there who know, and you know who you are, and you've seen it, you can point to it. You can, it is so present. Even as these passages are a very simple example of something highly improbable. You know there's more. And isn't that a great thing? Because to know it is to be that much farther ahead. It isn't exactly a race. Let's be clear. This isn't some ego exercise. But there is a lot of nastiness out there. A lot of bashing, diminishment, scorn, mockery. And there are many people who want um, you know, there's this there's this notion of idolatry. What does idolatry mean in a more general sense? It's when you elevate something that is not 
worthy of being elevated in your life or in your society. Some people would choose, some people who would choose not to have such a free expression of truly free souls, they would choose some idolatry instead and thrust it into view. But once you've seen what's real, it's impossible for that to truly mean something to you. It can tempt you maybe. I mean, money is a form of it. If you only think about the dollar bills or whatever currency or whatever, whether it's gold or silver silver or whatever you're using, land, many different things that could be considered of material value. If that is elevated on a pedestal in itself, it's no more than a false idol. And that can be said without any particular belief system at all because what you're doing is elevating something meaningless in your life that will not bring you joy. It may bring fleeting things, but not the joy, not the real abundance that I'm talking about here, not the miraculous abundance that Emerson refers to. We are here to create. We are in separable from the divine. Now, I do believe there is a higher purpose. I have a very intricate view of how this works because you're not just in a vacuum. You're connected to everybody else. So sometimes things don't go the way that you maybe plan or want or think, why didn't that happen? Why? Why? Why is this happening? And then the thing to realize is that you're in this, you're in a group. Many of you are in a soul group and you're teaching lessons. In fact, I would wager we're all in soul groups where we're teaching one another things. Don't despair when things are happening that make you feel like it's not working. It is. Trust. In this case, we can learn from the people who built that telescope, and I'm not. They worked hard. They've been very dedicated. I've done things in the material world. I get it. It's just that alone, without the rest, for humanity's future, it's not enough. It's like a speck of sand compared to what is truly possible, which Ralph Waldo Emerson saw. And the awe here that Keats sees when you behold something vast, like the ocean. Let's see. Next, actually this is, I want to resurface the row. This was somewhat conscious, but I didn't turn, because I knew he's near Emerson, and I know we're revisiting here, but really I turned to this passage and uh, this one has a little bit of intent involved. I was near it. Hopefully I can find it. Okay. This is important with regards to purpose. And in fact, it'll lead to another poem, which I'll explain in a moment, that many of you have heard. This is from Walden. Henry David Thoreau lived 1817 to 1862. 
I learned this at least by my experiment that if one advances confidently in the direction of his dreams and endeavors to live the life which he has imagined, he will meet with a success unexpected in common hours. He will put some things behind, will pass an invisible boundary New, universal, and more liberal laws will begin to establish themselves around and within him, or the old laws be expanded and interpreted in his favor in a more liberal sense, and he will live with the license of a higher order of beings. In proportion, as he simplifies his life, the laws of the universe will appear less complex and solitude will not be solitude nor poverty poverty nor weakness weakness. If you have built castles in the air your work need not be lost. That is where they should be. Now put the foundations under them. Oh yes, actually that's a deeper passage reading it than I even realized before the program. Look at how relevant that is. And I turned very close to it. There, there's a little less directness. But still, I'm amazed as I'm reading it just how much it has to say about the topic at at hand here. And how it talks about how simplifying our lives can lead to that treasure. He doesn't use the word treasure. But that treasure is something we need more than anything else. See how he says poverty will not be poverty. So if something, you know, how many people in the spiritual community who have had interesting life journeys, are living, you know, in a way that is so much different from people who have spent their whole lives, you know, in some industry or, you know, maybe um, they started out with some advantages to begin with and grow that, whatever. True abundance is more than that. And Thoreau saw that. And yes, it is about being a free spirit. I did a program on that a few shows ago, if you haven't listened yet. We are here as human beings to freely express ourselves. What a world it would be. You know, at the beginning of this passage, he does talk about, you know, what you see refer to that a little bit the part where he says you know the life which he has imagined you know what I can speak for my own life this life goes beyond anything I could have imagined and I was very ambitious and in many ways in many ways that seem quite 
I don't want to call it mundane, but commonly shared. Like how much I would be impacted by becoming a mother when that happened. And how I stepped back from my ambitious career at that time, willingly, knowing it was the right thing to do in that situation, even though I had planned something else. And then how other things came into my life. And yes, there have been hardships. There have been choices, this choice or that choice, which may not have been the best in the moment, but then in the end, it goes somewhere that is important. We all are like this. We're all experimenting in life. Nobody has a perfect life. And yet, in a way, you do. Because all of those things lead somewhere. And do you learn something? I hope so. I'm very happy I made the choice to be at home with my child. I hope more people have that opportunity to make that choice when you can. It doesn't make me some paragon of motherhood either. We're all imperfect. And yeah, I was able to do work at home, but that's really when I shelved most of my career. I managed to come back to it for a time, but where I really needed to be was doing the spiritual work, which is only now developing in ways that I feel need to be developed. And it's taken years and years and years for me to even get close to starting what needs to be started in some ways. And we may never finish in the ways that we would like to. In fact, there's another poem that came up, and I won't read it because I've kind of lost it. It's about... um, I don't know if I can even find it. It's about looking at what you have left to do in your life. Well, you've got to trust that you'll do whatever it is that you're here to do. You know, I often think of Carl Sagan, even though he was very much um, a skeptic with regards to spiritual things, and his wife is even more so, I think, or at least has continued that. First of all, I'm sure he was very surprised when he saw there was another side, um, And I probably regret that he didn't explore that more in his life, but he wasn't meant to, and he was taken from us early. And he at least could speak. He had a way of looking at things that was a bit more mystical, despite being skeptical. And that was, you know, his cosmos. I grew up with that series. So... Actually, I did just turn to that poem, but I'm not sure. Okay, fine. I will read it because it seems to want to be read. This is also by Keats, and it's shown up three times now. So I will read it for, let's see what we can find, and it's very relevant to what I just said. Written in 1818, this is also by John Keats. When I have fears that I may cease to be, when I have fears that I may cease to be, before my pen has gleaned my teeming brain, before high-piled books in characters hold like rich garners the full ripened grain, when I behold upon the night's 
starred face, huge cloudy symbols of a high romance, and think that I may never live to trace their shadows with the magic hand of chance. And when I feel, fair creature of an hour, that I shall never look upon thee more, never have relish in the fairy power of unreflecting love, then on the shore of the wide world I stand alone and think till love and fame to nothingness do sink. Actually, that's a really beautiful piece of writing. It's very clear that I was supposed to read that. And it really thinks about, you know, he's talking, he's a writer, and he says, you know, he doesn't want to die before, you know, he's written what he wants to write or before, um, you know, the full ripened grain of the wisdom that he has to share. He shared what he did share. How long did I say he lived? Wow, not very long. My goodness. Look at that. 1795. I keep wanting to confirm it. I am going to confirm this one more time. 1795 to 1821. Look at what a short life. That is. And he feels that he won't accomplish. What if he had lived a very long life? What would he have written? He wrote what he wrote. That was what he was meant to do. Just like Carl Sagan. And look at how the synchronicity of he's once again talking about the night's starred face. And let's be reminded. Actually, I've been watching another series. It's a little bit older. It's called Ancient Skies. I... And it's talking about how ancient civilizations saw the sky. And, you know, in our modern times, we don't see the sky anymore. We don't realize what a relationship people had with the stars, just the sheer beauty of the stars because of all of our lights. There's a disadvantage of technology. And unless you make yourself up, you know, get to some wilderness area, I've never, in fact, seen, I think just Barely I saw it in one place I've been. Just barely, the Milky Way. Because most of us can't see it because of the lights of our cities. I've often thought about if there ever was what's known as a Carrington event, which literally interrupted our power because of the power of a solar storm. The Carrington event refers to a specific time in history before we had so much industrialization. We had a little, and it totally interrupted the telegraphs and everything. We would behold the sky in awe, as if we're looking through a telescope, because we've never seen it, most of us. Everyone who came before us saw it. They had a relationship with the skies. And let's just think about the other things they saw. I was reading another poem. Not can't quite remember. Was it? It might have been. Yeah, I think it is. Um, yes, it's Keats as well. He's talking about, um, well, actually, I'm not sure if it is Keats. I was turning to one where it was talking about, you know, even just 100 years ago, how many things there were to be observed. 
um, just in the the United States domain, the wildness, the bison that would roam, and so many things. We don't see that anymore. That's a very sad impact of industrialization. And yet here we are. Without industrialization, without technology, I wouldn't be speaking to you. How many people would I have never known without it? Just like a life in the choices that we've made, we've made those choices. Here we are. What will we do next? I'm going to close the program as we're getting close to the hour with the final poem. This one, there was some intent here because I was going to read another poem, which is too long. I hope I haven't lost this poem. Oh, dear. I may have just... See, now we have a real trick. Can I can I find it again? Hold on. I'm close. I lost... You know this poem. You've, you've seen this poem before. In this particular book, they're actually talking about Robert Frost and Keats, and they're comparing. It's a literature book where they're comparing the two. If I don't find it soon, I'm not going to read it because I found it pretty quickly before, and it may be one that needs to wait if I don't find it soon. I just found it, and there's a book in it, so there we go. Robert Frost. He lived from 1874 to 1963. This is a poem that everyone, most people, are familiar with just from high school, most likely, or even before. Written in 1916. The Road Not Taken. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves. No step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere, ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. There's almost nothing I can say beyond those words, and almost no one can read those words without feeling their own emotion, thinking about the paths 
sometimes you take a bath and you think, oh, why'd I go down that one? <laughs> That's normal as a human being. We have to trust. We are where we are. What I see in that poem on a spirituality and materialism level and on abundance versus just money level or just materialism in a different way level is I am so happy. What a life so far. Incredible. Beyond anything, anything my ambitious self could have possibly imagined. Thoreau talks about imagining, although he leaves room for more than that. I couldn't even have begun to imagine, although in some ways, if I look back, I see some signs that maybe I did imagine it a little. I know that there are people, should humanity survive, listening in the future. I feel that if we survive, these words will come to you someday. Because I know, and I'm not the only one, several of you listening many of you, perhaps all of you, and if you haven't joined us yet, I hope you do soon, and then it will be all. You're clearly intrigued if you're listening. We have chosen the spiritual path, although really it kind of chooses you. No ego involved in that either. It chooses everybody, but you got to respond. you got to notice. you got to follow it. you got to say, oh, my gosh, that is real. I can prove that. First, you prove it to yourself. In fact, that's the most important part. But I do believe these things will be proven and the paradigm will shift. And then, yes, all of our technology hopefully can be used for a greater purpose, integrated. And we may not need it at all someday. Many cultures no doubt don't. And, yes, I have spoken in the past about the whole Fermi paradox. How, why don't we see more evidence of technological civilizations? And now, I've actually said this before, multiple people can say things, but now someone has done a study. I'm going to find that study for one of these shows so I can talk about it. I may even do a specific show on this. There are some researchers who've been studying how technology goes. And they have theorized just what I have thought for quite a long time, although I have another part to this they don't add, that we see no evidence. The Fermi paradox is why don't we see all these all evidence of things that would be the result of industrialization, which we assume are advanced. These scientists are saying technological societies rise in a flash and then go out because presumably they destroy themselves. Well, my addition to this, which I've known all along, I've thought that too. Many of us have thought that. But what if you become more spiritual? And that then defines your path ahead. The path that I did not totally intend to choose, although in a way, if I look back, yes, I always wanted this to be real. And I think a lot of people did when they were young, scientists who are materialists and haven't studied it enough to discover that it is real. That's the astounding thing. Someone put up 
And then I will end here. I seem to be here we are again at the hour, a little past, but I go as long as I spontaneously go. This is from the heart, and you can feel it. I saw an image somewhere. It was one of those little, um, you know, they're everywhere now. Um, We just see a tiny little clip of something. And this was in one of the more recent Star Wars movies, which aren't, in my opinion, those of us who grew up with them, as good as the the ones in the past. But it was where basically, and actually it's in the ones in the past too, it's when people discover that the Force is real and there's mockery and things. And I'm not saying that the Force describes it all because I think there's much more to it than that. There's love in the mix. And it's much more complicated than the Star Wars universe. Much better, actually. When you discover that this is real, these things that we were told could not be real. And how ridiculous is that? And you see evidence, and you will see it if you seek it. Skeptics out there, I challenge you, seek on your own. You will see things that you can verify without imagining. But you might conclude we're living in a simulation. That's a whole other topic, too, because it becomes immaterial. And then it's like, well, what does that mean? And if you cling to the material view, the technological view, oh, well, then it must be a video game. That's it. Or a simulation. Well, at a high level, I mean, I have a friend who's been on this show He wrote a whole book about this, how on spiritual planes and in scientific ways this has been looked at. Riz Burke is his name. I've interviewed him a couple of times in the past. MIT scientist. Now he's getting a degree in consciousness studies, his PhD. He's chosen the road less traveled. And he always has. I know We're on to something. Of course we are. We've seen it. It's like anything. It's like anything that we discover. We know. We've seen it. It's just that there's a lot of skepticism right now. Look at Galileo and what he went through. That was worse. We will get to the point. If we survive, which I have hoped that we will, because we have this extra dimension that others don't acknowledge. We will see. And perhaps you are listening to my voice in the future saying, yeah, there were people who did see. Because we did. But the road discovers us, it seems, our soul path. And this is true. There's no some of, I mean, some of us become astronauts and never wanted to be. I never wanted to be an astronaut, and yet I found myself in a spiritual place where it's the equivalent. And how remarkable is that? Someday, when we survive, which I do believe we will, we'll look back. And we'll look at other voices, too. The voices I'm looking at. These voices have been around a very long time. What did they see? We see it, too. 
and we'll see more and we'll go forward. And what an amazing thing that will be. So let me say to you, because everyone now is listening to me across time in this podcast that I will be releasing into the world in its entirety shortly, you are here with me presently, now. Energy is like that. Just as a star or galaxy or quasar or any object one might see. We seem to see it bringing its light to us from the past. Our voices are the same. We carry light. We carry shadow. Every voice is like this. But it is ever-present when you hear it, when you see it. I am taking that, that extra step and consciously acknowledging your presence, even though I don't, do not know who you may be or where you may be, whether very soon, in just an hour, or decades or farther out. So, whatever brought you here, whenever, thank you for being here in your time. I appreciate you all very much. This is my passion. This is my heart. Thank you for sharing in this space with me. I should be back next week. This program broadcasts live on Blog Talk Radio every Saturday, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. Generally, you can find it just by going to the homepage of blogtalkradio.com, or you can find it in other ways and off the frontierbeyondfear.com site. So, from my heart to yours, gratitude and caring. Take care, everyone.